Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, everybody. Good to be here with you. And uh, I'm really excited that we are stepping into a sermon series on the life of David uh, he's a decisive figure in the scriptures and a most powerfully summoned up with this accolade, a man after God's own heart. But despite that title, his CV is just full of contradictions. <laughs> you know, he has some of the greatest triumphs in the Old Testament. He defeats Goliath, he establishes Jerusalem, returns the Ark of the Covenant. He had a prayer life that has been documented for millions across the last 2,000 years to pray along with. However, his mistakes are as terrible as his triumphs are great. <laughs> David was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He was an incompetent father. And the purpose of this series that we're going to go through in the next four weeks is to learn from his successes and his failures. And our hope is that that will encourage us and inspire us how God can use somebody who trusts him, but who's human. We've got our faults and our foibles and our failures. But we can be a people who trust God and who can ask for forgiveness and be restored. And over this series, we're going to track four key moments in David's life. We're going to talk about David the Forgotten. We're going to talk about David the faithful. We're going to talk about David the flawed and David the forgiven. And our hope, our longing, our desire is that you all would find yourself somewhere in David's story. Maybe you've been overlooked by someone closest to them. Maybe you're standing in that painful place between promise and fulfillment. Maybe just grappling with your own life full of contradictions and shortcomings. We're going to start this week looking at David the Forgotten. And uh, I'm going to start just by telling you a little story. I, um, I grew up in the church in the mid-90s in Toronto in the Vineyard Movement. Does anybody know what that means? It was, we could do anything in the 90s. It was wild. <laughs> And, uh, and I was, the Lord was training and raising me up as a worship leader. And I remember my first time leading a worship leader in a small group. Actually, God said to me, don't prepare any songs. Just take your worship binders. This was in the day before, like, on song and iPads and stuff. So I had two binders, like, that thick of worship songs that I had accumulated. And, uh, and I would show up at the small group, and God would say, okay, wait till you hear what song to do. And so I'd wait. I told the group what I was doing so they knew I wasn't completely mad. And it was the 90s, so you could do anything. And, and, uh, and so I would wait till I heard what song, and then I did it. And then I would wait for the next song and, and learned how to just kind of listen to the song that God was singing over our own hearts. And, and uh, so really loved growing as a worship leader. It was a privilege. It was fantastic. Um, but I'm an ambitious person. And so learning, le leading worship in a small group was great. Leading worship on a congregational basis, up on the platform, was even better. I was excited when I finally first got to lead worship on a platform with musicians, other musicians. And I realized that I did not know how to play in time. And I just 
crashed the band into the, into the, it was terrible. Anyway, there was a lot of mercy. There was a lot of growing to do for me, learning how to actually play with other people. And, uh, but gradually I got there and I loved leading worship, loved having that, that platform, being able to just lead God's people into God's presence. And then the renewal meeting hit in Toronto in, uh, in the Toronto Airport Church. My church was a daughter church of the Toronto Airport Church. And so when they went to nightly meetings, it was all hands on deck. And they called all the worship leaders from all of the daughter churches to help lead worship. And uh, so leading worship congregationally is great. Leading worship at revival meetings is better. <laughs> and it was great. You know, you're, you're just, you're, anyway, in the 90s, anything could happen. And the stories I could tell, but we don't have time. But um, it was just mad. People just completely abandoning, giving themselves to the Lord. And it's just mad bedlam and chaos. Good fun for a worship leader. Loved it. Enjoyed it. And then, having led a bunch of renewal meetings there, I got invited to lead at a conference. So leading renewal meetings is great. Leading at a big conference is better. <laughs> and I got to lead at a big conference. And, and I actually led with a song that I had written. And there was nothing so sweet as seeing thousands of people jumping along and worshiping wholeheartedly to a song that I wrote. You know, it was just like, oh, it doesn't get any better than this. I had arrived. And then, and then what I did, as any sensible person does when they get that kind of platform, I recorded an album, a spontaneous worship album. And, uh, and it's kind of interesting seeing, when you look back at an album that you did about 25, 30 years ago, it's a little bit like looking back over your high school photos or Form 6 photos and going, oh, is that how we did our hair in the 80s? <laughs> you know, it's just like, ooh. And uh, I had, all, all, when I was in school back then, all of my friends had boyfriends, and they all had short hair. And I had long hair and no boyfriend. So, so I decided that in order to get a boyfriend, I would sensibly cut my hair. And so found myself in the mid-80s with this kind of mullet sort of thing. <laughs> it was not successful. I did not get a boyfriend with my mullet. And, uh, but, you know, so, but I thought, okay, I've arrived. I've got a worship album out. Great. Wonderful. And... Um, and then I damaged my vocal cords, just when it was hot off the press. Damaged my vocal cords, and I could not speak without pain for six months, and I couldn't sing for two years. And having sort of risen to the pinnacle of my worship career, all of a sudden, there I was, on the edges, on the fringes, silent and forgotten. In the midst of it, the Lord pulled me out of church planting and invited me into the prayer movement. And, uh, and consequently, I then spent the next 20 years not leading worship on a platform, but leading worship in a prayer room, not on a stage, but in a circle, mostly with people. God bless them, loved to worship, but didn't know how to play in time or sing in tune. 20 years. I remember going to a worship conference a few years in, and all like the biggest name worship leaders were there, and uh, I was so frustrated. I'm like, God, don't, doesn't anybody know how anointed I am? You're supposed to laugh more at that, you guys. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know why you did this to me. I don't know why you put me on the shelf. I felt forgotten. 
David's early life is spent in obscurity. Son of Jesse, little brother, he finds himself up in the fields taking care of sheep. One of the most menial of tasks. Let's take a look at the story. We're going to pull it up on the screen. This uh, a preamble to this. Um, God is speaking to the prophet Samuel because God wants a new king over Israel. So the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about this, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. So Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the place of sacrifice with me. So they consecrate, then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed, anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. You get that, eh? So Eliab, he must have been like super handsome, super big, broad shoulders or something. Anyway, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Aminadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor the Lord has chosen this one. Jesse had seven, everybody say seven, Seven of his sons passed by before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, I have not, the Lord has not chosen these. So then he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Can you imagine, hey? Jesse gathers all the sons. It doesn't even occur to him to ask the youngest. It's not even on his radar. And, uh, and I wonder how David felt. Overlooked? Marginalized? Maybe even maligned? I wonder what insecurity and loneliness and pain he experienced. Not blessed by his father. Not seen by the ones that are supposed to hold him most dear. So how many of you feel, how many of you feel forgotten and overlooked sometimes? Maybe you didn't get the job that you were hoping to get. Maybe you're still single and feeling past your best before date. Or maybe you're home with a bunch of kids and uh, excited at the end of the day, if only you can brush your teeth. (laughs) Maybe your TikTok channel didn't go viral, even though you had brilliant content. 
that happen to any of you? TikTok channels? No, try eat the evening service. But <laughs> there we go. His way. Well, we know that your content is brilliant, and it will go viral. So <laughs> maybe those closest to you don't see you, don't really see you. Maybe they don't understand you. Maybe you've been sidelined. So my question for you today is, how many of you are in the field, off on the edges, taking care of sheep? I think one of the greatest dangers to our souls is early success, early platform in, well, I'll call it success, early success, and early platform in ministry. I think it's so hazardous when we get to the place where our character and our maturity might not yet have caught up with our anointing and our natural gifts. And I've heard ministers say, well, first God calls you, and then he kills you. <laughs> he calls you, and then he kills you. I've seen it time and time again, people receiving a clear call from God one way or another, followed by a season of being taken off the front lines and into a place of preparation. It is a normal part of the process. Everybody say, normal. Turn the person beside you and go, it's normal. It's normal. <laughs> I mean, take Jesus, for example. He lived the first 30 years, 30 years in relative obscurity. And then there's that moment with the call of God and the baptism and the voice from heaven and the dove. And then God sends him off to the backside of the desert for 40 days. So what happens in the place of anonymity? What happens when we're forgotten? I would suggest three things. Number one, there's three invitations in this season. One, to get real. Number two, to look up. And number three, to grow up. Let's look at getting real. When there is no audience to play to, there's no Instagram following. Oh, I have to tell you my Instagram following story. Okay. So just, just my preamble is, I have already repented for this. <laughs> so I may or may not have been looking at the numbers of all the Instagram followers of the 24-7 staff team <laughs> to see where I rated. <laughs> and I knew I couldn't beat Pete. Pete's got like 40,000 some odd followers. You know, there's no way to beat Pete. But I was beating everybody else. I was number two in the ratings. Very excited. You can't tell that I'm slightly competitive, hey? <laughs> and uh, so I was rejoicing and being number two, kind of keeping my eye on the numbers. And then the most amazing thing happened. Pete got hacked and lost all of his Instagram followers, which meant I was number one. Yeah, I was. <laughs> My uh, victory was short-lived because Pete has friends with tech skills and managed to get it all back for him. And since then, I've been overtaken by many of the other staff. So I sort of sit in the middle, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> if there's no audience to play to, if there's no Instagram following, who are we when nobody's watching? What do we do when there's no one around to see? And I think what we see David doing in the desert, in the field with the sheep, I think he responds to this invitation to just get real 
right? To lay aside the public persona. There's nobody there but sheep. And he lays his heart before God. All the highs, all the lows. And man, David had some real mood swings, really, if you look at the Psalms. Let's just look at Psalm 27. And uh, Psalm 27 has got a lot of interesting bits, but I call this bit um, David's whiny part. <laughs> it's kind of his lament. He's feeling sorry for, him, for himself. Hear my voice, Lord. When I hear my voice when I call, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says, if you seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Mom and dad have blown it. They don't see me. They don't love me. I've got oppressors. God, I know what I'm doing. I need you. David answered that invitation to get real. Number two, it's an invitation in obscurity to look up. As David gets real with God, God becomes real to David. And God becomes his chief orienting reality. Again, from Psalm 27, David says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. From the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. One thing, David becomes a man after God's own heart. God, I'm after you. I want you to become my chief orienting reality. And as he pursues the presence of God in those faraway places, he grows in confidence of God's character and God's goodness. He lets go. And he settles in to wait on the Lord's timing for his life. Psalm 27 again, I remain confident of this, says David. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. So David gets real David looks up, and then David has an invitation to grow up, <laughs> an invitation to grow up. There's a, a wonderful book, those of any of you who study leadership, there's a, a guy named Robert Clinton, Bobby Clinton, and he led a course at Fuller Theological Seminary for about 30 years, and the course was about how God shapes leaders over the course of their entire lifetime. And so what he did was he studied, he did case studies of over 3,000 leaders, some historical and some modern-day leaders, Christian leaders, and he was able to map different seasons of their lives and patterns of how God shaped and grew leaders into their calling and into their conformity to the image of Christ. And he talks about the seasons of, of um, God testing and checking the heart. 
And he talks about three particular tests, three checks. He, he talks about the integrity check, the word check, and the obedience check. And so number one, in the integrity check, God is testing our inner character for consistency. I was, uh, had a doctor's appointment at a hospital a couple of months ago, and uh, the parking lot was really full. There was this beautiful, expensive white car that was not parked in a parking lot or the, in a proper parking spot. And as I drove around, I grazed it ever so slightly. Just a little graze, just a little graze. But the car was white, my car was red, so you could tell that I'd been there. <laughs> And I had a moment, I had just a moment where I kind of looked around the parking lot, there was nobody there, and I thought, oh, nobody saw that. And I was tempted. I've already repented, just so you know. And uh, and the temptation came, and and just at the same time, the Lord spoke. He's so kind, eh? It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And he said, Jill... If I can't trust you with a little fender bender, how am I going to trust you with Waverly Abbey? And I was like, oh, quick. Okay, that was a quick repentance. (laughs) I was like, oh, yes. No, he he could trust us in the little things, and he could trust us in the big things, right? So I went and got my phone number and put it on the car, and and, uh, thank goodness for insurance, but I I don't want to see what my rates are next time the renewal comes. (laughs) But oh, well. So that was the integrity check. Number two, the word check. So a word check is a process where God tests a leader's ability to understand, to stand on, and to receive a word of God personally, and then allow God to work that word into their life. God uses his word in a variety of ways. He gives us inner conviction. He assigns ministry tasks and opportunities. He helps us to solve problems. He motivates us towards vision to encourage faith in us, to give us divine assurance, to clarify guidance. That's how God's word can work its way out and through our lives. And the word check is he's checking to see if we can receive God's word and to let it shape us. And then number three, the obedience check. Can you not only receive God's word, but will you obey Will you do what he says? So as we're shaped in our lives, and, and whether or not, you know what, you think, well, I'm not a leader. Do you know anybody who's trying to influence anybody for the gospel and the kingdom? Anybody who's a parent? Any parents in the room? Grandparents? Right, you're leaders. This is for you. <laughs> and um, and I, I love how God's tests aren't pass or fail. Because God's not about pass or fail. God is about mastery. So the test comes and you don't succeed, God's like, no problem. We'll just do it again. And again. And again. However many agains that you need until you get it. Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. And it's in the forgotten, in the anonymous, in the obscure places that you fight those hidden battles that prepare you for the public ones. Let's go back to David again. This is 1 Samuel 17, 28 to 36. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the man, this is when there's a battle with Goliath coming up, 
and Israel against the Philistines. David's come to check it all out. So Eliab, David's brother, heard him speaking with the men. He burned with anger at him, meaning David. And he asked him, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. It's like, woohoo, siblings, hey? Complicated family dynamic. David responds, now what have I done, says David? Can I even speak? Then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same manner, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard, and it was reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. He's ready to fight Goliath. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like them because he has defied the armies of the living God. David has fought hidden battles out in the fields with his sheep. Lions and bears, tigers and bears, oh my. Is that, we see that in a movie somewhere. <laughs> but as David overcomes them, he grows in strength and confidence in God so that when it's time to hit the public battlefield to take on Goliath, he is ready. Let me tell you, anointing you can have from the get-go. Little story, I uh, met Jesus when I was 14. And the year before I was 14 in school, in uh, English class and public speaking, I was kind of okay. I got like a C, maybe. And do you have like letter? Yeah, a C. Um, and then I met Jesus that summer. And then the following year, that year, and subsequently all the way through, I got A pluses on public speaking. I hadn't studied it. Just something dropped in when I met Jesus and gave myself to him. So anointing, you can have from the get-go. But spiritual authority, that is another thing altogether. That is forged in the secret place, spiritual authority. It's forged and sharpened through 10,000 choices. 10,000 times you say yes to God when no one is looking. And authority usually takes decades to develop. So... What are, what are your hidden battles? What are your temptations in the hidden places? Who are you when no one's looking? And what's God's invitation to you to grow in strength, and confidence in God, and spiritual authority? Luke 16.10 says this, Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And so what's the little that God's given you? Think about that for a minute. 
What's the little things that God's given you? They might be little people <laughs> that God's entrusted to you. Might be a little garden, a little job. What's the little thing he's entrusted you with? Preacher and writer George MacDonald says this. What God may hereafter require of you, you must not give yourself the least trouble about. Everything he gives you to do, you must do as well as you can. And that is the best possible preparation for what he may want to do next. Some of you may never have a platform, whatever that is, a platform. <laughs> Maybe you're going to be a solid pillar in your home. Maybe a solid pillar in your workplace or in your church. So I think one of the challenges of a church like Emmaus Road is there's lots of people out there. Big church, little itty-bitty platform, Right? But this is what you see on a Sunday. You think, oh, that's, that's what it is, whatever it is, right? I want to be there. I want to do that. But not everybody's called to. Hmm. He's here today, so I'm going to embarrass him. But uh, sorry in advance. Andrew Stewart Darling. <laughs> He's a member of Emmaus. He wrote a lovely article this week that I saw on social media. He says this, So super excited to have just joined the welcome team at my church. And here's why. Research shows that most visitors will have made up their mind in the first two minutes whether they come again or not. So if I can help them, I'm in. This might be discouraging if you're a pastor and we're hoping that it would be something about your talk. <laughs> or because you know your worship team is on holy fire at the moment. But it's actually the small, almost missed things that will decide whether or not you win a second Sunday from your visitors. And he goes on to say, if I can help bring a smile and ease their tension a little, I reckon the sermon has already begun a pillar in the house so with all this in mind I'm wondering if there's a way to reframe being forgotten am I forgotten or am I hidden am I forgotten or am I hidden I love this scripture Isaiah 49 2 he made my mouth like a sharpened sword and then in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow, and then he concealed me in his quiver. God makes us, and then often hides us. And I think this is so vital in the development of becoming men and women of integrity. And in an age where high-profile platform leaders are falling to the right and to the left, Will we allow God to form us and shape us in hidden places? I want to just throw in one little extra thing just for, for free. <laughs> As I have kind of worked through seasons of hiddenness and, and uh, seasons of less hiddenness, 
and working through my own neuroses and my need for people to see me and love me and think I'm wonderful and, and all of that. Um, I pray this prayer. I've learned to pray this prayer. God, would you hide me where I need to be hidden? And then would you reveal me to those to whom I am to be revealed? Would you reveal me those places and those people and that position even that would have strategic kingdom impact? But other than that, I'm quite happy if you hide me. <laughs> and so then, having prayed that prayer and trusting that the Lord will answer that prayer, when I step into a space and I'm overlooked, because often, just FYI, slightly round, middle-aged women often get overlooked. I've had many, many times where people have taken one look at me and, and then just kind of, I could tell they've just classed me, put me in a little box and walked by. And... Um, and that doesn't bother me, although, I mean, I know it's not awesome. <laughs> but it doesn't bother me. Does that make sense? It doesn't make me feel any less about myself because I've asked God to hide me where I need to be hidden and then reveal me where he wants me to be revealed. Really, really good prayer, you guys. Try it. It will help you get over yourself, number one. <laughs> and uh, number two, help position you for his purposes. So... Are you forgotten or are you hidden? And in seasons of hiddenness, will we receive and respond to God's invitation to get real? To set aside our false persona, our public profile? Will we receive God's invitation to look up? so that he himself can become our chief orienting reality. And will we receive God's invitation to just grow up, to fight the hidden battles, to become trustworthy with what we've been given, so that he will entrust us with more? Will we become men and women after God's own heart? So I'm not going to do a, a ministry time per se because I actually think this experience of feeling marginalized, of feeling overlooked is a universal experience and all of us sometime or another <laughs> have felt that way. So I just want to encourage you to just close your eyes and we're just going to bring our hearts before the Lord. God, we thank you that if nobody else sees us, you see us. I think of that beautiful little worship song. You see me, you know me, you love me through and through. You do see us and know us and you love us all the way through. Lord, we give you any feelings we have of betrayal, insecurity, sadness, grief, loss. Just hold those feelings before you. I invite you to come and meet us there. Lord, we ask that you would speak the truth about who you are and about who we are. 
come and form and shape us. Help us to say yes. In Jesus' name, amen.